Sounds All right, man. Welcome to Pro Triple Seven Radio. This is hour one of episode 451. Jason Lingren is with me, and Kyle Denton returns from Tippy Canoe Herbs. Kyle first joined us on episode 410. You can go back and catch this. This will be an interesting one. The idea of the Zodiac, signs of nature, signatures from above. Uh, We're going to roll through zodiacal ideas, kind of how it applies to nature, you know, where there is no lie. Uh, Herbs and ideas will be the lens at which we look at the zodiacal ideas. And these are, this is not easy. So many people have so many different ideas, but I mean, at this point, who the heck knows for sure? Um, We should cover it all. We should work our way through it and try to discover what is worth holding on to. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. Oh, and good morning. All right. Welcome back, Kyle. It's been a while. Thank you. It's great to be back. It's great to be back. Since I've been on your show, I've met Jason in real life too. That was that was great. Oh, I remember them mentioning. Yeah, it's cool. I don't I don't get out much. I've got I'm so busy here all the time trying to deal with everything that's happened here. Hopefully by the time spring rolls around, I'll be doing other things. I actually plan to beef up my solar telescope and um do some work starting in as as we warm up after winter. I'm gonna use this winter to get back the things that I need. That the technology has really come so far since I was behind a scope. But anyhow, where would you like to jump in here? You want to start on areas? And by the way, these look pretty well written bullets. Do you want to have Jason and I read them verbatim or how do you want to do this? Yeah, I was thinking that maybe Jason could read the sign and the in the uh, aspect or the uh, words verbatim and uh Maybe I could set up a little premise here with the signatures as well first. So I was just thinking, you know, about how much work you have done and your listeners have done on making this foundational principle stand uh, of nature has no lie, where we as living men and women or beneficiaries to inherit these gifts. And that that makes a lot of sense. You know, it makes a lot of sense when we have all of these foundations in place. But what becomes difficult is personalizing that. So even if we, you know, have that premise for like the legal episodes, for example, it's really hard to have like a a recipe book that everybody can use, you know, just like one size fits all. And the same goes for unlocking these keys through the gifts of nature. There's nature speaks in symbols, it's very lyrical, it's poetic. These are ways that can bypass the stop gaps of our logical analysis and get deeper in, in order to us to have a, a personal comprehension of the truth. It's also uh, brings us like along with the logical connection, the emotional connection too. And I don't think that, you know, like, like a recipe book, the, the logical ideas of nature can't be just, you know, dictated. And I think that's also why things like scripture are written in a poetic form as well, because of this reason. Here's, here's another thing that we can reason too. So built on that. That nature doesn't carelessly, it doesn't aimlessly assemble its structures. It's not just haphazardly throwing up different colors and different patterns. There's always a purpose for what we're, we're seeing in its form, its function. An example would be patterns that form a part of a plant into the shape of a lung. Like, for example, mullen. It's a common roadside plant that comes to mind. It's, a, it's an exceptional plant, really. It's I before E, except after C, and in the case of mullen, too. <laughs> but the leaf, takes in whatever information it's given in its field and it's formed into a shape. And that shape is the same shape of our lungs. Think about the cymatic patterns. You hit the 432 harmonic, that sand has no choice but to 
form itself into this pattern. This frequency provides that pattern. And that, that pattern is the same in the, in the case of the mullen. It's the same uh, pattern that looks like a lung, and it also supports the function of our lungs. It's a, an expectorant. It regulates dampness. It's dryness. And that's encoded by also by the presentation of the plant in the environment that it's found in as well. And additionally, the leaf is also arranged into like a perfect Fibonacci spiral. And you could follow that spiral from the largest, the oldest, crustiest leaf on the ground to all the way in um, until you reach a leaf so small that it was just started that day. And it's this rhythmic pattern on the form of the leaf, which is the same as the form the, uh, in, the, in the lungs that shows the breath. And I could find that pattern within myself. Um, that breath that I just took, the, uh, the breath that I'm creating today. And, um, and if all goes well for me and the plant, the breath that I'll take again tomorrow, right? And um, it's really quite beautiful when you find this plant and you, and you just watch it like that. You know, you're, you're getting down. Um, you could see these things in a very small fractalized way and bring it into um, uh, uh, your, the resemblance of an organ system or even of a microorganism. But you know what? those also share the same fractal patterns as on a grand scale over time. And that's what I'd like to present today is this compilation of signatures in the plant world in the relationship to the energetic patterns of the sky clock so that we can start to understand the beauty, the complexity of the micro, the macro, our personal relationship with them as well. And so that's what this is, an herb walk through the Zodiac. All right, cool. I mean, that was so well said. And I remember the first time I bumped into exactly what you're saying, there was an old shaman in like the Amazon and he came across this plant and he said exactly what you said. Look how this plant looks like the young lung. We use this to treat lungs. Um, I've always remembered that, but in some ways, cymatics is almost equal to laws, right? The way you explained that was perfect. When this frequency hit, there is no choice. This form will be created, but Let's jump right in. And I think we're going to start where the traditional beginning of the Zodiac has typically been laid down, which is in the sign of Aries, Jason. Starting with Aries, we have Cardinal Fire, Crown, Forehead, Maxillary Arch, Cerebellum, Seed, Ego, Mars, I Am. So yeah, it seems natural to start in Aries, at least for a lot of people, but recognizing the potential for the zodiac to start anywhere, right? But um, and that it has that it's incorporated in all of us. Let me just say that one of the um, the ways that I work as an herbalist is as a teacher, and I get the I have the great privilege of doing herb walks for seasons through my uh, local community, and I get to go out into the wild areas. And I mean, I have a garden and I grow plants too, but I, but in this, in this case, when we go out into the wilds and the wilderness, and then we get down with, with people and talk and I get to teach, I get to examine these ideas. I get to have the reflection of these ideas from the students as well. I get to learn a lot from just immersing myself in, in the experience. And I would say the greatest teachers that I have are the plants and the community. And it's a, it's a great blessing. And so one of the, um, the first ones I find in the springtime is nettles. Nettles, um, it's uh, it's a Mars plant because it's got these little weapons, right? They're little stingers that are on it. It's got the other some other Mars signatures too that are connected with Aries. Like it's got this reddish green color that seems to match what you know the the color of the luminaries. And I call Mars awareness medicine. 
because it's the only plant that you could properly identify at midnight on the new moon. It's like, you, ow, what was that? Uh, zing, hello, I'm Nettles. Um, so you, it tells you to watch where you're going. It tells you to uh, pay attention to your surroundings. Um, you, it has a lot of these connections with the, the ego of who am I? And so it also has a, a, a brilliant way of kind of clearing out the upper respiratory system. So it's, it's like a plant that's here at the time we need it, which is so interesting that all of these plants seem to have this kind of relationship. Everything's in perfect balance, but in the upper respiratory in the springtime, we know we're clearing out some, some allergies, some of that phlegmatic humors of the winter. And that seems to be really beneficial that it's right there for that. And there's this other therapy <clears throat> that I usually don't start with or suggest to a lot of people. I usually go through my list, but somebody's like, I'm desperate. I'll do anything for, for some relief from pain. There's something called urtication therapy. It sounds a lot um, better than saying, go sting yourself with nettle. Hey buddy, take a hike and sting yourself with nettle. It'll feel great. And this is uh, this is kind of an Aries proposition too, maybe for the Aries in us, which is like, oh yeah, I, I accept that dare, you know. <laughs> um, it's got a very aggressive look to it. It's got these serrated edges, and the idea of stinging yourself with nettle is that it's it's um, creating this expansion. Um, it's creating this heat to come to the surface. It's allowing. Um, your body to examine parts within, let's say, a, a joint that may have been like that, they have like stagnant, cold tension that's just, you know, some like deeper arthritis, not like the shooting pain, but like this deep chronic thing going on. And stinging yourself with nettle allows that, that redness, there's the red again, areas come up, swell to the surface and, and, and release. And it's like these little dots too. They're very, they're very Aries like. It's not persistent, it's not chronic, it's just a quick, a quick burn. And that reminds me a lot of Aries as well. That idea that you're expressing, like years ago, they came up with, oh, people with arthritis should use bees. Um, it's a similar idea, isn't it? To sting the arthritis to make it better. But I've got to ask you how you think about this. First of all, Paracelsus, if I remember correctly, said that every single plant, no matter how annoying or weed-like, has a use in this world for us. But with nettle, I notice what you notice when I go down and nettle's coming up. It's so complex so I try to think in my mind, you know, what cymatic would cause that? Is it a really high, I, I guess I think, I'm not certain, but I think of it as a very high frequency because of the complexity. How do you think about it cymatically? If you're trying to, in your mind, realize this plant I'm looking at is a really high vibration or how do you do it? I think of it like this. First of all, the, the sting, the stingers themselves, they used to think that they had formic acid, which is the same venom as the bees, but then they realized there's only 2% and then they thought, Oh yeah, there's also serotonin and dopamine, and then they thought, well, um, they the you know the the academic people they're like, oh, but actually we don't know what's in it. So it's this big huge concoction of chemicals that are coming from the ground. And the way that I think of it, actually, maybe I don't. This is just my experience with the plant, and I, I suppose um, I'll just say what the plant teaches me. Um, I could say what the plant tells me is that there is a the plant is collecting a lot of the ether, the etheric frequencies from the winter. And it's delivering, it's like holding that in suspension in a very, very sharp point. And it's delivering that uh, directly through its uh, the tension that it's like held out throughout the winter. And, um, and that, uh, that energy is use, useful to disperse. So that would make sense to me in, in a, in a cymatic way or the pattern 
the other ways that I think about nettles too is that they grow the places that they grow. They like to grow by outhouses. They like to go by rivers. They're they're really good at taking up protein, proteinaceous waste, and removing it from our body too. And then also the the colors, the color scale too. We see reds. We see when we see reds and greens, we're thinking about positive parts of the. Um, okay, so if I think of it this way, this will help us save a lot of time here in this presentation. If we have Mother Earth, which is our negatively charged ions in the ground. We have Father Sky. We have the positive, and then we have our our own chakra system where I have the energies within our body. So we have the red chakra at the base, and then we have the the most violet is purple at the top. And that's because if we were flipped upside down, we might repel the negatively charged. There's the negative charge that's acting up in our, inside of our mind. So I think about like. Colors that are from like green downwards, yellow, orange, reddish, as being more of a uh, material base, nourishing. When I see foods like that, or like nettles are a great uh, food source as well, I think about a lot about like material, food, substance. And then when I think about these cooler colors, like blues and violets and things like that, indigos, I think about like consciousness, like these are, these are more reflective of like their consciousness. They're working on our negative or receptive polarities. And uh, they have they can tend to have a cooling action in the body. Um, whereas the reds and the warm are having like that more of that warming action of the body. And I believe it was also Paracelsus, or maybe it was Galen that said that nettles are warm. Yeah, it was Galen. War, warm in the third degree. So that means that it's uh so we could see the redness there. We could think about the warmness the warmth that we have. And a lot of these signatures too, we can't, you know, we can observe them. They are what they are. And then we, and then after that, we apply the names to them in the same way that we do with like naming the stars, naming the Zodiac, you know, it is what it is. That star is what it is. When I see that star on the horizon, that means that it's time to plant the grain. And when I see it on the other horizon, it means it's time to harvest. And then somebody else says, Oh, but that star spica. And guess what? It's in this, uh, I drew, drew a virgin in there. Um, and you're like, oh, that's that's cool. And, th- and we do the same kind of thing with these with these plants too. We apply the names, we apply the um, the locations in our body. Um, we map these things out so that we can remember these stories and tell them over time. If we just keep going back and back, we say, it is what it is. That plant is red in the spring. It's it's green as it grows. It grows it, as it gets closer to our heart. It becomes more green. It becomes more uh, less aggressive um, as it's so aggressive in the springtime. As a masculine idea, I'm guessing out of the gate, but if we're going to get through a full Zodiac, uh, we better keep this train on the track. So why don't don't we go ahead and stay in the sign of Aries and talk about wild mustards? Sure. Mustards come up in the the spring as well. They're really good at moving stagnant mucus, which is perfect in the springtime. Uh, There's their crucifers. Um, When I think think of crucifer, they're crossifer. There's these four petals that form a cross. I find that pattern uh, that forms four points often related to the four cardinal points of the year. And they're selectively bred. These you know, wild mustards were turned into kale, kohlrabi, Brussels sprouts, and cabbage, cauliflower, things like that. And I think a lot about this, the idea of the seed, you know, the cerebellum, Aries, the seed, you've covered this a lot. And um, the mustard seed, of course, in the Bible, if you had something about like, if, you know, if you have the faith, the size of a mustard seed, you could uh, tell the mountain to go to the sea or I butchered that, but that's the idea. Right. And, um, 
And the same thing with mustard. So seeds are tiny. We can change them so much. We can uh, now we have this great variety in the store, but also the wild progenitor, which is the the wolf of the of the mustards, which is the the wild mustard, the Brassicaceae oleraceae. I see what you did there with mustard. Well done, uh, particularly the scriptural reference. People can go look up the scripture that contains the mustard seed. But uh, let's close out the cyanobarias with astro aromatics. And by the way. Uh, people have been raving. Some of the people that I know that just got turned on to dragon's blood, uh, some of my friends that had things like um, Crohn's disease, they are singing the praises of dragon's blood as we get into this. Wow, that's cool. I think that's really neat. I'd have to look into that. Astro aromatics is a is a thing that I've been doing lately, a way that I've been exploring these ideas. I've been making incense and I, I do these incense making classes where I have the sign that I have um, that we're in. So right now we're in Libra, we're moving into Scorpio and then into Sagittarius and um, we can get together and make some incense and talk about the the sign a little bit, talk about these plants that have this relationship in the way that I just kind of outlined, dragon's blood, clove, propolis, uh, propolis, bees, bee stings, uh, little little weapons from the bees, um, formic acid again. So all of these seem to relate you know, the burn hot with cloves really relate a lot to Aries. Um, and just also for what it's worth, I'm not a huge, I'm not really into, uh, I mean, I'm not an expert I'm into it, but I'm not an expert on the cell salts, but, uh, I've been, uh, as I've been learning about them, I've discovered a, a crossover too. I think that, um, these wild mustards are really high in potassium phosphate, which is califos, the, the cell salt related to the Aries. You know, as you're laying this down, it just goes to show how much we've lost because of course, when you consider where cell salts originally came from, it would be the plants. A lot of it would be from plants pulling nutrients up. Then I don't even know if titration is the right word, but they're making these cell salts very tiny. So when you eat the plant, you can bring them up, but you, you interestingly uh, labeled that astro aromatics. And I had recently read that when you smell a heavenly scent from a flower, as an example, it is literally connecting you to a higher plane. And I thought that was an interesting idea, but we need to get over to Taurus. Um, and by the way, people can go out right now, um, depending on where you are, might be a little bit later at night and see the constellation of Taurus. You can download free software or a lot of people have it on their cell phones that tell you the part of the sky to look. There is a very reddish orangish star, which is the eye of the bull in Taurus called Aldebaran. Now I have read in like an astrology dictionary that this is a malefic or a negatively charged star. And then in the same breath, all these other people argue that it's not true, but it is interesting to me that it is adjacent to Aries and that star is still red, but there's your cue up for Taurus, Kyle. Taurus, fixed earth, throat, neck, vocal cords, hearing, taste, procreative desires, Venus, I have. Yeah, Taurus. You know, moving through the Zodiac, you find that some of these deacons, you know, the last deacon of Aries is influencing the the first deacon of Taurus and vice versa. And so I guess I'll start with onions, which is uh, also a spring sweetness. It's got the sweetness. It's got pungency. It's got this... So this way of dispelling that phlegmatic humor um, that can be so fixed in the earthly Taurus. Um, it's high in sulfur compounds. Sulfur, that's uh, sulf, sodium sulfate or nat sulf in, this, in the um, cell salt correlation. That's the last I'll do on the cell, cell salts because that's not, like I said, not my... Actually, that's pretty helpful just to let you know I didn't know what you just said. So that was pretty helpful. Cool. 
Taurus isn't a sign that's ruled by Venus. And so we have a lot of Venusian plants that are starting to come. We have a lot of the fixed earth energy, it's, uh, roots and dampness and softness. Violet is uh, comes to mind. This is a state flower of my state, but it's many states state flower. And it's because it's this, like this harbinger of spring. Um, when the violets flowers are here, like this, the winter is is gone, and you know, and, and at least it should, it ought to be. <laughs> Sometimes we still get snow in May, but um, these heart shaped leaves they the, that's a signature of hardiness of strength. Um, it's also the shape of the spade, which is a, a Torian idea of getting into the earth and planting. They're very softening to the mucosal membranes. If you touch them, they're close to the ground. These are signatures that we can observe. They're close to the ground. They have this uh, five-pointed five pointed, um, flower, just like the rose, uh, which is a Venusian signature. And I would also say rose is part of the Taurian. It's a list of the Taurus plants. We have this five, which is like a phi signature. It's, um, it's um, Rose, obviously, it's comforting. It's protective. It's familiar. It's lovely. It's got these thorns, which are significant of the boundaries. And Taurus really likes to think to itself, like, what do I have? Where am I? Like, what is mine? And having some, some displaying what is beautiful and what is yours, but also having some boundaries to protect that. That's something that the Rose offers. And I was just thinking about this the other night, Croak, because I know that you're a stargazer and that you have a lot of experience with the telescope. And I was just thinking about the the Venus aspect in five and wondering what how you how you thought about the Venusian the pentagram shape it makes. Yeah, you know, the pentagram shape. Do you see that in the sky? And is that is that at and then also, you know, I I know that you're you've come to question if that luminary is what you're seeing is actually Venus or if it's Mercury. And I wondered if if that would kind of throw a wrench in this whole idea with the Venusian and the rose and Taurus, or if you could expand on it. So I don't, I don't think so. I read and I went back and forth for quite some time. What Steiner said, I think what Steiner said was in the older documents, they reversed the labels of Mercury and Venus. I questioned it at first. I thought, well, that makes good sense that, you know, the human mind idea would be the brightest thing, but it doesn't work. And, uh, you know, when I had Hoax Buster and other people on, they pointed out, wait a minute, that's the morning star and the evening star. That's all we, you know, so you can't really, I don't think you can separate the brightest luminary of the so-called planets from the Venus idea. So I, I would suggest that we hold on to that, even knowing what Steiner said, maybe what he meant is if you go back to older texts, it's possible they have been flipped to confuse people, but to get on to the, the pentagram idea. If I remember back that far, you can go look up places where the luminaries or the so-called planets make like a shape in the sky based on what they call their orbit. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the five-pointed star is the shape that Venus makes. And it's hard. I can't really describe it. You just have to go look up at certain points where an event happens along its so-called orbit. I would be very interested to know if people like Tycho Brahe or the really old observers who truly observed accept these ideas, but how could it not be that there's a sacred geometry tied? And for that matter, that means there's a sacred geometry. If each of the luminaries has some kind of a sacred geometry, like Venus and a pentagram, or maybe I should just say a five-pointed star because it doesn't imply so much, it's, it's the same idea, but wouldn't Earth have that geometry? And almost always, and I'm going to shut up here in a second, almost always Earth is a cube. 
the angles of sorrow to, to make a fine point, but I don't know if I answered everything you asked me. That makes sense. I'm glad. I just, I just was wondering if I was just thinking about that. If, if it made sense still with um, the five pointed and the Venusian ideas, if that was what we're seeing reflecting. I, I don't know how we divorce ourselves from it because there's so much written that clearly shows this very bright body uh, being Venus. So I, for now, choose to accept that Steiner was claiming older alchemists tried to hide and confuse their work by reversing the two names. I think maybe that's what was up. Great. Yeah. And just to close out, Taurus, some astro aromatics, rose, peony, sweet grass, vetiver, sweet grass with the cows are eaten, right? Vetiver, the roots of that, of those plants too. So we have a lot of uh, cow Venus ideas that smell so lovely and are just great for the Venusian Taurian senses. So Jason's going to cue us up on the sign of Gemini, uh, which would be next going clockwise, typically how the Zodiac is is laid out with Aries being in the middle right, right on the equinox. Gemini is interesting, and it's going to be interesting to this whole conversation because what we've chosen to do is say Aries is the first and accept all the old meanings and ideas that were inherited forward in the Zodiac. But as everybody knows, if you grab a map right now, it'll tell you that above the equator is the Tropic of Cancer meaning that the sun reaches its high point or the, the summer solstice in the sign of cancer. That's not true. It does that now in Gemini. So here's part of the difficult task we have, knowing that there are workable systems in what we're laying down. What does it mean when we know that Aries is not really the first sign or if that's even true, but I'll use Gemini as the example. I'm reasonably sure as certain as I can be, that the summer solstice or June 21-ish, pretty much June 21, should be the high point of the sun in, in the constellation of Gemini, which would make its opposite the Tropic of Sagittarius. And I bring this up because once more, we will have Athen Comenteon, and he's a sidereal astrologer, which means he's looking at the sky that actually exists. And here, here lies the problem. But uh, Jason, why don't you lead us into Gemini, please? Gemini, mutable air, breath, bronchioles, lungs, communication, mercury, I think. So Kyle, have you thought about what I was laying down there? Or I mean, does it, does it make any difference to you, the idea that I just tried to express? And I know it's, it's a stacked question, by the way, I know that. I think about it all the time because I, because I like Athen, derive my information of reality from what I see and what is. And so I can get perspectives from other people and books and things like that. And I could test them against the truth of nature, right? And I can, and what I'm seeing. And so if I'm seeing something, it's not, it doesn't really make sense to um, what somebody else is saying. Then I can put that idea on the back burner for a little while and uh, maybe, maybe pray for my eyes to be open to it or understand it in a different way. Um, but I, I agree with that. And I think that, um, oh, so there I am Gemini. I think that, <laughs> that you're, that you're right about that. And it's something that makes a lot of sense to me that, um, however, in Wisconsin, I'm like, oh, but it's not spring in Pisces season. It's not yeah, even right. spring in Aries. <laughs> That's part of the problem, isn't it? What, what we're, this valuable information that you're laying down is at least a couple thousand years old, I would guess. And the reason I'm guessing that is because a couple thousand years ago, uh, the, the high point of the sun was in Cancer and was in Capricorn. So I'm not 
I'm not trying to minimize. I'm with you all day long. I think we, I'll just call them tropical ideas. I think we have to cleave onto these tropical ideas because without them, we don't have a definition, do we? Right. So yeah, well, let's use the definitions that are there. And just like I said, it is what it is, but then we apply our little stories over them so that we can talk about them and remember them and teach them. And then we can use those uh, with the disclaimer that we're going to work with these things in a personal level and not necessarily get away from the, the appealing to, you know, what I say and what Crow says and um, get out there and figure it out for yourself. And also with uh, just to continue that disclaimer, as I'm talking about plants, you know, we're talking about things that are a very, there's a, there's a great abundance of, of that, which wants to heal and help us in this realm. But there are the occasional, uh, let's shall I say plants that are ruled by Saturn and the Grim Reaper. So let's be careful as we're going out and exploring the uh, the plants and um, incorporating these things that we have a, a proper guidance and the confidence to know exactly what we're doing. So uh, just to uh, make a point on that disclaimer there. And as a matter of fact, uh, make help, have me as your resource. I would be I would be honored to help guide you in that process. Send me some photos and I'll and I'll help you identify plants as well. So in Gemini, we have mints, and these are highly aromatic plants. And this is signature aromatics in general for altering states of consciousness. You smell something and all of a sudden you're outside of your body. Where is that? What is that? Uh, your eyes sharpen, your pupils dilate, you're looking through the pine forest, looking deeper into the woods, for example. Uh, I said pine, but I'm talking about like aromatics in general, but mints have this way of having that very localized, altered state of consciousness. And it's not like, you know, way out there, like some of the some of the shamanic medicines, but it is shamanic in the way that we are changing our perspective from this moment um, into a, a different way. And, and uh, this is a, a very great Gemini trait, which is, um, you know, it's fun. It's uh, it goes between this way and that way. It's, it's got a lot of mercurial aspects to it. Um, a lot of Gemini people that I know that have a lot of Gemini stuff in their chart, they have, they're great um, comedians and musicians and they do great impersonations and they, they're fun and they have a lot of that mutable energy. They fit into all these different groups and same with mints. You could put them into teas. You could put them into pizzas. You could put them into soups. You could put them into your breakfast. Uh, there's just a lot of mutableness to the mint itself. And um, so also I'm thinking about the color of mints. You got sage, it's blue. You got violet, lavender. I'm sorry, lavender, which has got that violet color. You got um, skull cap, holy basil. These are all the colors of consciousness, right? Um, upper chakras. And in addition to the mints, I think about elder trees as having a lot of signatures of this mutable flavor, uh, these mutable signatures. The flowers are up, the berries are down, there's a red stem and there's really dark berries. So there's this resemblance of the bronchioles and the arteries. I like to think of that a lot as like deoxygenated air. So this is Gemini, which rules the lungs. It's, uh, it's twin medicine, right? You can use the flowers, you can use the berries. There's a hollow stem, which is a which is a signature for a portal um, and going between worlds. Elderberries were named for Eldermore, which is the elf mother. And um, elderberries like to grow in wet soil. They like to grow on the edges of ditches. And to me, that's like the last deacon of Gemini into cancer kind of a idea that I see in the signature of that. And then I also just see a lot of elderberry or elderflowers in Gemini. That's just like, they love it then. So. 
one thing that I noticed as you were speaking here in Rhode Island, we I'm out in the boonies a little bit. We have terrible trouble with mice. And since I don't kill things, we're constantly live trapping mice. But the thing about mints, there is no better thing I've ever found in the world to keep mice the heck away. Even insects, they hate the smell of mint. Um, there's little products that I think one that we used, which is very effective. That's almost holy mints called a uh, rodent sheriff or something like that. But here the mice are going to start being a trouble uh, to get into the house in spring. And here, not too far into spring, the mints are going. Mint is one of the easiest plants for anyone to grow, but I'll give fair warning. Be careful, control that. That thing will take over your world. And the other thing I would say is when it starts to flower to give seeds, you might want to clip those off with scissors because if those seeds get out in your yard, uh, it, it grows like running bamboo. Anything else you want to add for Gemini, Kyle? There's your mutable nature right there. It just wants right. to go and go and go, right? There, there it is, flat out. Uh, Jason, I think we're over to Cancer, the old tropic that we still call the tropic. Cancer. Cardinal water, chest, breast, stomach, ovaries, protective coverings such as the pericardium of the heart, moon, I feel. All right, Kyle, let's jump in with mugwort. I actually grew some of that this year. Cool. How did it turn out? Um, it was not what I expected, and I ended up putting it in the wrong spot in my garden, uh, but I'll know better next time around. Yeah, it's it could be like the mints too. They like to they 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 can take over just because you know mugwort is named Artemisia vulgaris after Artemis, the goddess of the hunt. So it's on the prowl. It's going for it's going for it's going for your tomato patch, crow. That, that, that's and, what happened to me. It took over a basil and it stunted out a uh, sage. Yeah, there, there, yeah, exactly. So they have this uh, lunar signature. There's these. Um, what looks like a moonbeam white. It's just like tinted like a moonbeam on the underside of the leaves. And to me, if you look at this plant in the moon, especially in the light of the moon, it looks like it's glowing. Like that's, to me, that's when it really gets this, its charge. It seems to have a lot of this lunar signatures and mugwort is actually becoming really popular with like young people lately because of like TikTok influencers and stuff like that. There's a lot of people that come into the shop because Somebody on TikTok will be like, did you know that there's this legal herb that you could take called mugwort and it makes you have astral travel? And so there's these young people that will come into the, the herb shop that I own and uh, they're like, you know, in their pajamas and stuff and looking for mugwort. And it's a great opportunity for um, for me to, you know, do my little rants and teachings of, uh, about the beautiful nature of these plants and to describe it a little bit more. And I, we affectionately call this people mug heads because they're looking for, <laughs> they're looking for a, a, a quick astral travel. And so mugwort has a lot of uh, relationship to that. It's really fun. I didn't actually know that about mugwort. Yeah. It's um, yeah. It's as, as a matter of fact, if you put some mugwort underneath your pillow, it will um, keep you up at night dreaming. And the way that I think about that is because it's kind of stimulating and it wakes you up every uh, REM cycle, just enough for you to remember your dreams. But if you're if you have a hard time sleeping, then uh, then I would suggest not doing it. But red clover, red clover is another one. Red clover kind of has a signature. It looks sort of breast-like. And this is a, a plant that is, um, uh, is very helpful and traditionally used for the lymphatic system, and especially in breast cancers and stuff like that in the Appalachian folk traditions. Um, it improves the fertility of the earth because it's a nitrogen-fixing uh, fabiaceae, fabulous fabiaceae plant. And the um, 
the color of the red indicates like purified blood. It's sweet in flavor. Um, it's like, uh, on, if you pick it on the dewy morning, it's like milking the earth. It has a sweetness to it. Um, it's very nourishing. It's got a lot of food like qualities to it. And when you see the leaves of three, you know, um, in the case of poison ivy, they say leaves of three, let it be. But when I see leaves of three, I say leaves of three fertility, because there's the signature of the Trinity. There's the mother, father, the child, there's the two legs of the mother and the baby coming out, how all these ways that we could think about the three, the relationship of the three bearing, uh, one, right. And, um, the red clover is definitely a great fertility tonic in that way. And also, you know, the four leaf clover, you know what that means? If you see a four leaf clover, it means you're having twins. <laughs> is, is that true? I know we've heard it. No, I'm luck. just kidding. I'm, I was going to say, I've heard that, that that is supposed to mean good luck, isn't it? Yeah, it's good luck, right? Just like it's more babies. It's good luck. No, I'm just kidding. Luck, but... <laughs> that would be good luck in this world. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Good. We got, we got a bunch of inheritors. All right. Um, and aloe vera is uh, the last uh, herb of cancer. Um, and that to me, you know, cancer, it's the crab. Aloe vera kind of looks like a, a, something that a crab would live in if it lived in the desert desert instead of underwater. Like aloe vera kind of looks like an underwater plant. It actually has this like ocean inside of it. You know, it's, um, they look like little pinchers that are coming out of the ground. There's this like serration on the edge of the leaves. And I know that, you know, the crab is something of our imagination. We look up in the sky and it's not like there's a crab in the sky. There's a, there's some stars that we say is a crab, but I think it's pretty fun to play around with remembering these things through that, that kind of idea, these playing with the logos, I guess, if you will. But uh, it does have a, like, like the cancer energies, it has a rigid exterior, but it's soft and gooey on the inside. You know, um, it's like a, a lot of aqua springs and it really helps with softening um, the waterways of the body. And so that makes a lot of sense to me in cancer. Well, it reminds me what you're saying. You know, there's not really a crab in the sky, but I, I want to say it's Paracelsus. I don't remember, but he, one of the great alchemists asked the question, what came first, the bull or bullishness? And that goes directly to what you're asking, because supposedly the reason the crab was chosen is because the qualities of a crab are the energy that's being given. That's the idea. So I really like how you said that it looks a bit, it does. Uh, growing up in San Diego, we always had aloe vera and it is so useful if you ever get burned or even like a sunburn, you just split open the plant and you rub it right on. It's, it's quite useful. Yeah. The astral aromatics for cancer. I like rose again. I like mugwort and I like sandalwood. These, these are great um, incense ingredients or smudging ingredients as well. I love sandalwood and we smudge here. And again, because we're from Southern California with white sage, uh, whenever we smudge with that, it reminds us of our home. But I wanted to point out, uh, you say deacon occasionally. So when he's saying deacon, you've heard me say deacon. It's people say it both ways. What we're referring to is each boundary of a particular zodiacal sign has three sets of 10. So the first decan is the first 10 degrees. The middle decan or deacon is firmly within that sign. While the first one you're moving in, the middle deacon, 10 degrees, you're firmly in the sign. And then the last deacon or decan, you're slowly moving away. But I wanted to ask you a question. You ever think about this, Kyle? You, you pointed out that one of the plants for the sign we're discussing was nitrogen fixing. What does it tell us, you know, before chemistry, before probably nitrogen even had a name, they knew these things about the plants. And so they would do things like 
I want to grow this plant that robs a lot of nitrogen. So I'm going to put this nitrogen fixing plant with it. It makes you wonder how they ever knew that. They must have known something much deeper about the essence of these plants, I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah, exactly. Or I would say, to take it further, the essence of the soil, like they had a stronger relationship with the soil itself, you know, mm. they can put their hands in the soil and they could feel what's deprived in it. And uh, I think that would be a great question for Matt Waters, who you just had on. I'll remember that because it always amazes me. The Indians did it when they grew their three plants together. And part of what they were doing was maintaining the quality of the soil. But this is going to lead us into Leo. Occasionally here while we're doing this, the major stars that I remember, I already did Aldebaran and Taurus. That's one everyone should just know. Once you learn it, you'll always recognize it. It's a color. Same with the sign of Leo the lion. It has a very bright, whitish, bluish star called Regulus. You might think of it as the regal one. Just to know a handful of these zodiacal bright stars, not every star in the sign, but just like the main star really helps you learn to start navigating. There it is, Jason. Let's do Leo. Leo, fixed fire, heart, chest, upper spine, constructive forces of the body, sun, I will. Yeah, the will of Leo and those stars, the four royal stars, they can also be, you know, we we're moving here as our four cardinal signs might not actually be the four cardinal signs anymore. They might be a different cardinal sign. Good point. It has to be if the other thing is true, doesn't it? I think, I mean, that's at least the way I think about it. I do too. And I also think, so that makes me, that gives me a lot of relationship between looking at this, looking at scriptures, ideas and scriptures, and also uh, comprehending this through the natural world um, and what I'm seeing on the ground and seeing uh, the plant St. John's wort which is a plant that is, it's blooming on the solstice. So, um, but it's in its brightest, most uh, intense state in the sign of Leo. And this is a, this is a plant that I call solstice wort. Um, wort means like healing plant. Um, it's an old English word that means healing plant, but we have St. John there. We have the solstice. We have the feast of St. John, which is the solstice, right? That's uh, the kind of like the, the same holiday, right? Um, there's this, signatures of bright yellow. It's bursting with these rigid stamens that look like these fiber optic lines. It looks like the, the way that you would draw a cartoon sun or something like that. Just like this, like rigidness that's like emanating out from the plant. And, um, they, these stamens look like fiber optic lines. Like I said, they, they, um, remind me of the nerves of the body shooting light through the body. This is how I think of this. And this is a plant for healing the nerves in the body, bringing light into the body. Um, and so I could play with St. John's word across the Zodiac with, with um, Aquarius in a very dark time of the year and uh, people who have that seasonal affective disorder and they feel really down about the sun not being up and, and being in the homes and having a plant like, say, like this Leo plant that just brings this light into the body. And another signature of that is if you hold the, the leaf of St. John's word up, to the sun, you'll see all these little holes that allow the light to go through. And to me, that's a signature for light escaping the body. So I love St. John's wort in relationship to this idea of biophotons in the body, um, holding holding these biophotons. When we get stressed, a lot of our biophotons leave. This can be shown in ex- experiments with leaves. They take a leaf and then they have a special camera and they take a picture of it and it just looks like a leaf. And then they put it into uh 
they starve it and they uh, put it into a car for a few hours or something like that. And then it's like all lit up and there's all this like um, eminence of light because it's losing all this light. And to me, that's a, a signature uh, with St. John's word is of the, in the body of like having a lot of stress and losing a lot of our light um, and having these, this um, idea of Leo being this brightness, this um, and then St. John in the sky clock, right? That's the, some, um, Sometimes I've, I hear about that being the Aquarian man. So there it is again, playing back and forth in the, in the Zodiac, uh, a plant of Leo for the opposite sign. And of course, like the color yellow is representative of the solar plexus. We got bile. We got, that's where will is. That's where our will. So yeah, St. John's word, anything on that? Well, it must be an important, important plant to be called such a thing. As everybody knows, St. John would be one of the four gospels. Uh, maybe you could argue some of the most important books in the New Testament of the Bible, but St. John is the interesting one. Uh, the other three Gospels, um, Mark, Luke, and Matthew, are called synoptic, which means seeing with one eye. And of course, that is a reference to your third eye in one way, but St. John is the one that's not. It's the interesting one. But when you started to define wart, I went straight back to Arthurian legend, and I wanted to point out, when, when I was young, I loved reading all the different versions of King Arthur's and his knights. But what you're saying is already wrapped up in the tale. So King Arthur has 12 knights, of course. There's one for each month of the year. So you already know in a way that King Arthur is playing the role of the sun. But Merlin nicknames him, in some of the versions, Wart. And that draws from exactly what Kyle just said, because wart is healing. And in the Arthurian legend, when Arthur becomes king, he's actually married to the land. So the health of the land is dependent on the health of the king. And it's right there. He just gave you the definition of St. John's wart, what wart means. And all those years ago, there was Merlin naming the king wart for healing. It's all interesting. Yeah, it is. Also from the old English is Hawthorne, the Hawthorne tree. And I get um, a lot of English um, interesting things from their lore. Hawthorne has this um, connection with elf, the elf father. So elder is the elf mother and Hawthorne with its, or sorry, elder, the elf mother with its um, purple and, um, you know, negatively charged aspects and Hawthorne, the elf father with its red berries, its thorns that are holding space. Um, I always think about thorns and not um, in a way also as like little ether harvesters, they're space maintainers. And uh, in the same way that I thought about that with nettles too, and um, red berries for the heart, it's abundant, it's attractive. Um, it's just a fairy elf tree. And um, the last one of Leo is motherwort. And this is a plant, it's called Leonurus cardiaca in the Latin name. And of course, you know, this is a, uh, it's not like that's the name that Adam, you know, the biblical uh, Genesis gave it. It's uh, a name that the Romans gave it or something. But even in the names of the plants, Leonurus cardiaca, we still have this connection with old ideas, right? And it brings up um, things that we can think about for ourselves, even if they're not like as they are presented in nature. But learning these botanical names is always, to me, a great uh, clue into how I can understand these plants. And so Leonurus, the heart of the lion, 
they have signatures of rhythm uh, in the flowers. It's like a beating heart, but bump, there's a flower, but bump, there's another flower, but bump, there's another flower. And then as the seeds, as the flowers turn into seeds, those seed clusters turn into like little balls of spikes. And it's again, this idea of Leo protection and having this uh, bounty. It's all, it's all for you, but you can't, you have to take it with care. You can't just come in and take advantage of me because I'll poke you. And inside these seeds, there's a little X. And I think about that again, there's these cardinal points of the year, but wait a minute, cardinal, wait, Leo, didn't I just say, uh, <laughs> didn't I just refute that with my description of Aries? And, but anyway, I definitely think of this time of year as regardless of, you know, are we, are we talking about tropical and everyone gets 30 degrees, everyone gets 30 degrees fair across the board. Or am I talking about like this cardinal time of the year where I'm at when we are like in the dog days of summer and there's an X and you're in the dog days of spring and there's an X and you're in the dog days of winter. And I find one too. Um, that's to me, that makes a lot more sense than like, you know, again, these man-made ideas about everyone gets 30 degrees, stay in your lane. All right, Pisces. I know that you want to be the boundless ocean and get and take up all the space, but, uh, but everyone gets 30 degrees, you know, man-made systems. But I mean, the point you made with the Latin name, uh, of motherwort, I mean, come on, everybody, Leonor, Leonorus cardiaca. And we know we're talking about Leo, the lion, and we know the chief star is the heart of the lion called Regulus. So here we have Leo and heart in it. I mean, it's basically telling you, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's great. Leo plant. It's a great plant for the heart. It's a great plant for embodying that protective Leo energy, whether you're in the time of year or you want to like channel that energy as well. And then I think about astral aromatics, frankincense, uh, copal um, or copal. These are like the golden tears of a tree, you know, and it's like, oh, they're like crying. I can just imagine these trees are crying and you're like, oh, why are you crying all this gold? And they're like, every time somebody smells me, they associate me with Catholicism. (laughs) (laughs) Well, incense has a long history of being a prayer associated thing for many reasons. But, you know, as we're going through this. Wouldn't it be great if we could do an episode like this on crystals too? Because I, I think a lot of people don't realize that in the same way you're using herbs, crystals kind of fall into that. But Kyle, we're wrapping up hour one. Can you please tell folks where they can find you and where they can find your work? We're in hour one. If you choose to give out an email, it can be overwhelming. But if you want to be overwhelmed, go ahead and give out an email. Yeah, like I said, I'll be your resource. Let me help guide the be, a, be an herbalist for this community. It's uh, tippycanoeherbs at gmail.com. We're doing all kinds of fun classes. Uh, I'm doing, I've been primarily an herbalist for our local area and doing working in person, but I've been called to work more online. And in fact, I have this online program uh, going on right now, and I'm going to do another one in the spring of uh, Foundations of Herbalism. But most of the people, almost everyone in the in the program is a listener of Crow. I got to give my the students in there a shout out. What's up? Because it is so fun to have a class where we're all starting out and we're all just kind of in the same, you know, we don't have to talk about like, what is the sky clock? We just know, you know, you've covered these ideas and it's really fun to just like take off and, you know, uh, take off from the ground and be at cruising altitude and uh, really get deeper. And so I plan on offering that class again in the spring. I really hope that we get some more, a lot more Crow people um, in that. And then these astro aromatics courses are really fun. We can learn how to roll some incense by Sagittarius. I will have that one so that we could do that one online too. Currently that one's just in, in, in person. So tippycanoeherbs.com. I got all my wares there. We make, uh, my wife and I, 
We make a lot of herbal medicine and uh, a ton of it. And we have a great, beautiful herb store in Milwaukee and a little clinical practice, a school and all this stuff. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's really fun to most of all work with the plants. So find me there. There it is. And just so everybody knows, there is one of those little image links to things that I have used. And I know firsthand that they're high quality. Uh, Tippy Canoe is that. So there is a little image that links to him. And I think he offers everybody 10% off. There's there's a little code you can use on the thing. But I can tell you firsthand, these are quality herbal products. Um, and I can't say it enough. We need to get away from, we don't need to ditch allopathy from my point of view, but we need the sanity of naturopathy and homeopathy and herbology. We need that back in the conversation. All right, here we go, guys. There's hour one of episode 451 with Kyle Denton. The first hour is free to everybody at pro777radio.com. That's C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. Members know to log in and join us for the full two-hour episode. With that, we're going to get ready to bring you hour two. We've got a lot of Zodiac to get through and a lot of herbs to talk about. I'd like to wish each and every one of you a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.
enemies of knowing. <laughs>